to the Bucket Diet Radio. My name is Caroline Dooner. I am your host here at the Bucket Diet Radio. And today we're going to be doing what we usually do, which is talking about how to stop being so miserable over food and body. The Bucket Diet Radio is brought to you by my Patreon. And if you want to ask questions that will be answered on this podcast, just like I answer in this particular episode, you can you can go to patreon.com slash carolineduner, that is my name, and you can sign up for the $1 a month option where you can ask questions, or you can sign up for higher rewards like secret posts and monthly energy work. You can also support this podcast by going to iTunes, uh, searching the F It Diet Radio, F is in fuck, and leaving a five-star review. It helps other people who are looking for similar content to actually find the podcast. So without further ado, I'm going to read my newest post. But before I do that, I have to find it. Because as usual, friends, oh my God, what's happening? <sighs> do you hear that? Maybe not. It was a helicopter, but maybe it was drowned out by my particular, uh, like, new music. I like stock music. All right, let's see if I can log into my own account and find what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing today. All right, I shouldn't be recording right now. Could you go any slower? Please, okay. Great. So as usual, these days, my new episodes are coming out alongside new posts. So I like to read the new post, discuss the new post in the beginning of the episode, and then move on to listener questions later on. So the new post is called The Way Diets Work. Diet companies are thrilled that diets seem like they work. Diet companies are also thrilled that diets ultimately almost always fail. And diet companies are also thrilled that everyone seems to think that it's their own personal fault that it failed. Weight loss studies last long enough to take note of the weight that's lost, short term. But they don't go on long enough to see what happens after the weight is lost. And that is very convenient for the companies funding the studies, who are almost always the companies who are selling the drug or diet in question, which is what I found over and over and over again doing this research. Weight loss is not confusing. Well, at least that's what we're told over and over again. It's just a simple equation of calories in versus calories out. Or it's a simple balance of macronutrients. Or it's a simple avoidance of certain food groups. Or a simple rotation of different food groups. Or it's a simple amount of hours during the day that you're supposed to eat or not eat. Or it's a simple supplement that ancient cultures used to use to induce euphoria and perfect health. But the truth is, all of those things can cause initial weight loss, sometimes. And in my diet heyday, I tried all of them, really. And for the most, and most of them worked initially for a time. And what none of these studies account for is the inevitable regain. They never stick around long enough to see what happens to your body biologically and mentally as you try to stay on the diet. 
And we are also now all living under the assumption that eating less and restriction and constant micromanagement of our intake is a healthy, normal activity. It's so common that we assume it's normal. And it's so ingrained and normal that we assume it's healthy. But your body never wants you to restrict food and it doesn't want you to lose weight especially when it feel especially yeah when it feels like food is scarce so it will sabotage your efforts almost every time and make it harder and harder to lose weight in the future too if you try to diet again it becomes even harder because your body is not putting up with that shit it's harder and harder to lose weight in the future the more famines you put it on essentially a diet is a famine And so how does the body sabotage your efforts? It makes you exhausted and it slows down your metabolism so you expend less energy and burn less calories. It makes you fixated on food. It makes you hungrier. It makes you binge. It forces you to gain weight back, sometimes in one fell swoop and sometimes over the course of a year. Your body does all of this on purpose. It does all of that to get you to take more calories in and expend less calories. After all, your body has no idea that you're trying to fit into an arbitrarily small bikini. Your body thinks that there is a mother effing famine. But if you have ever ended up at the same weight or higher after a diet, it's not because you needed to just try harder. It's because your body is baller at keeping you safe from famine. It is amazing at this. It is one of the main things it is designed to do. And diet companies are lucky that their clients, quote-unquote, fail because it means they keep coming back for more, determined to try harder and be good this time and keep it off this time and keep it up this time. We all remember back to that one time that we lost all of that weight. And we give all the credit to the diet but fail to see that the yo-yo is all part of it. It is incredibly rare to have the initial weight loss and not have the following regain. And the people who seem so good at staying on diets are either people who are actually not really dieting at all, but are really just listening to themselves, or they are people who have disordered eating and can only focus on their diet and little else. So what is the answer? Some of you may not know, but Those of you who've been following me for a long time and listening to enough of these, you know the answer. Your best bet at being a stable and healthy weight, which might not be as tiny as you've been hoping for, is to learn to truly feed yourself what you want and how much you want. That is the only scenario where your body won't fight you back. The answer is to stop fighting your weight and you'll find that your weight stops fighting you back. And you can see supporting science for all of this at thefuckitdiet.com slash science. (laughs) I'm not a scientist. I'm just a girl who sometimes reads the breakdown of scientist things. So anyway, we can discuss that, you know, going forward. Um, But what I also would like to do is I would like to read my new post. Um, I have another new post also. All posts that I wrote on Facebook and then I put I put it on my website when I got the book deal. And I know I've talked about that in past episodes, but um, it is interesting to kind of note how this all sort of came to be. So I'm just going to read this. It's not very long, but it'll give you an idea of just, I don't know, we'll see. 
So I wrote that I have really exciting news for me, at least. HarperCollins, specifically Harper Wave, is going to publish the Fuck It Diet book in early 2019. And as of now, it's going to be February 2019. And this same week, I found my old Blogspot blog. You know, like how Blogspot used to be a a place where people would host blogs. I had this old Blogspot blog that I started back in junior year of college. This was way before the fuck a diet. This is was in my dieting days and or my I thought I was healed because I was a quote unquote intuitive eater days. The blog was called Non-Quick Oatmeal because I believed in slow food. And this was back when I knew that I loved to write and was also trying to legitimize my obsession with food. So it started as a terrible, terrible food blog with dark pictures that were taken on my flip phone for real. And if you go to read any of the 2019 2009 to 2011 posts don't I don't recommend that you do you will regret it and be bored to tears really it's awful it's so bad it's like then we went to the restaurant and it was nice (laughs) Um, however it is also some pretty solid support for the concept of just starting even when you have no fucking idea what you're doing The more I wrote, the more I found out that my talent and passion was not writing about how crispy the nachos were, but instead the stories before and after the nachos. And luckily for the four friends who read my blog, that was really it, it started to become more of a weird essay situation blog and not a food blog anymore, which also became the way that I liked to write, and it has informed the way that I write the fuck a diet and everything these days. I remember thinking, oh, I really love writing. I wonder how I could become a real book writer where I can just write funny essays and never have to leave my house again. And in the very least, I wonder how I could have like 40 readers instead of three and a half. But I I definitely didn't know how. Uh, So I just kept writing and having to leave the house. God, there are so many things that... um, that are like funny on the page, but not funny in the delivery, or at least if I don't know what's coming up, because I'm reading it to you guys and I don't, I don't have this memorized, like it's not a memorized monologue. So yeah, anyway, sorry. So I know it's not funny in this context. Okay. Okay. So starting the fuck a diet site was a totally different situation from this though. I really wasn't trying to do anything except share some really important shit that I was learning and I wasn't trying to be funny or entertaining at all. The fuck it diet wasn't supposed to be funny. I was very, very serious about it. Fuck it. Fuck this. Why are we counting almonds? I felt like I had stuff that was really important to just write about and share. And I really didn't expect it to become a thing. I really didn't. I was completely anonymous. I didn't even have my first name on it for a while. And then eventually I did put my first name on it. But uh, my name was Caroline Hagen, as in Hagen does. Some of you might remember back to then, but most of you probably don't. I didn't want anyone who I knew in my real life to know that I was writing about this at all. It was to- And it was all totally beyond me. This wasn't like a plan. This wasn't like a, like a business plan or anything. I just had shit to share. And it felt very, very important and serious. Uh, this whole thing, again, I always do this. I say the next thing that I'm about to say. I think I'm like going off the cuff and like adding information that I've already written. Okay. The whole thing was also not the original plan. I didn't want to be a warm and fuzzy self-love body image teacher. I wanted to be a beautiful Broadway actress. Still, I still wanted to back then. 
even though I quit acting to go on the fuck a diet. But no, life had other plans. And there I was naming myself after ice cream, trying to learn how to eat rice again. For a long time, I genuinely thought that my regular Facebook non-quick oatmeal, this blog, and email writing voice was the opposite. And like it was my like funny way of writing. And it was like a very specific voice. And that it was the opposite from my teaching you how to not be so fucking miserable, learning to eat normally again, voice of the fuck a diet. And maybe it was different. I don't know that it ever really was completely different, but I think that they were two different ends of the spectrum of my of my writing. I don't know. I don't know how different they were. But all that matters is that at this point, they're not really that separate and they have been joined together. Thank God. Um, so basically, I would just like to take a moment to revel in, honestly, the mysteries of the universe and to honor the deep jankiness that I started from at nonquickoatmeal.blogspot.com and you can type that in and you can find it. And to be amazed that now I get to have a book deal writing a funny book about disordered eating, essentially. Um, Okay, 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 okay. So let's move on to the next... Oh, you know what I want to say? Before I start answering questions, I want to say that yesterday I listened to Lara Thomas's podcast, Don't Salt My Game, where she interviewed Julie Duffy Dillon, who is a diet, a non-diet dietitian who focuses on PCOS, which I know that everybody listening to this doesn't have PCOS. But if you do, or if you've been diagnosed with PCOS, or you think that you have PCOS, um which is a, a hormonal endocrine kind of syndrome thing that they really don't know the cause of it. I personally believe, I, I have been diagnosed with PCOS 15 years ago. It was a huge part of the reason that I started dieting in the first place. Um, of course, not the only reason. There are cultural reasons too, but it was one of the things that really pushed me over the edge and made me like even more obsessed than I probably would have otherwise been. Um. I strongly believe that PCOS is very, very um, environmentally caused. That doesn't mean that a, that, a, that a cure is easy by any means, but my God, this woman is amazing. Her words and her research are so calming. She's completely anti-diet. She talks all about the reasons why it's so important for people with PCOS to have carbs, things that you can do to support your body before ever, ever, ever thinking about any sort of diet stuff and um, how important sleep is and how important certain supplements are to help you kind of get to a place where your body can sleep better. All of this stuff that is like, it's basically, you know, consolidating all of the things that I have personally learned over the years and applied to myself. And of course, I'm not a dietitian, so I kind of have to speak more globally. I have to, um, you know, I have to be really careful, careful about the way that I work with people And I can speak from experience that, no, you don't have to diet in order to, you know, manage, quote unquote, PCOS because there is no cure, though, you know, I think that you really can get to a place where your body is really, really supported. Um, Basically, it'll make you feel so much better about going on this non-diet journey with someone who has PCOS because basically the thing about PCOS is that they that what they say, what the, you know, the mainstream doctors and and nutritionists and dietitians say is that 
you need to watch your carbs and lose weight in order to manage PCOS as if carbs and weight are the cause, which they are not. They are not. And so it's just so important and empowering to learn this information. I, you know, I really, I just love her work so much that I, I really, I intend to find a way to um, work with her or interview her or just kind of like, I need to take time to kind of assimilate the information and then maybe have a resource on my site that kind of talks a little bit more about about this for people with PCOS because you wouldn't believe the amount of people who write to me and say, I have PCOS, I can't do this. I wish that I could, but I don't know if it's safe or responsible for me to do this. And my response is, I do too. Um, but that, and that sometimes calms people down and some people doesn't. Some Sometimes it doesn't, sorry, I really can't speak. Um, anyway, go listen to that podcast episode. You can go try to find Julie Duffy Dillon on Instagram. Her handle is food peace dietitian, I think. <laughs> Let me confirm that for you. Bad information I'm giving you. Food peace dietitian. Yeah. Anyway, that's for people with PCOS. And I highly recommend just the specifics of the information that she gives on why it's still not helpful and can make you feel even crazier and make your body even weaker and more inflamed if you go on a diet or restrict carbs with PCOS. It's just so wonderful. It lets you off the hook too. It's not your fault. It's not your fault that you're tired. It's not your fault that you... Um, you know, have cravings or whatever. It's just really wonderful. And I think that it will be a solve, S-A-L-V-E, to anyone who has PCOS. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. All right. I'm going to answer questions now. What do you say? I used to have, when I used to record, I didn't realize that I could change the the way that it counts it, it used to count it in measures because I record on GarageBand on a Mac and I didn't realize that I could record and actually see how long I've been recording for. I just had to guess all the time. And then I found $20. Wasn't that a great story? Okay, for real, for real, for real. Let me focus that, man. Focus. Patreon.com slash Caroline Duner. And then, okay. So... Charity asks, hello, I'm 41 and I had two kids in my late 30s. I've had a restriction binging thing since I was about five. So needless to say, I'm unsure what's my natural size, what my natural size would be. And I'm recovering from health issues that occurred during and after my pregnancies. My thought is there are nutritional deficiencies due to the restriction before and after them. I gained three times oh sorry again three times the recommended I thought it was like three three times the recommended amounts when pregnant this last time I'm holding on to a quote-unquote a small child in weight after two years and it hasn't budged I've always been either overweight or obese in quotes of course because it's all super arbitrary BMI is arbitrary for frame of reference so my question is do people ever ever find their true set points if they have had disorders since a very young age 
and is anyone helping parents teach their kids intuitive eating? In my experience, kids can override that from a pretty early age if stressed or outwardly restricted. Also, Caroline, you are my spirit animal. Oh, that is such a nice thing to say. And I'm thrilled to finally, in the past two weeks, have found intuitive eating. Much love to you all. Charity, I totally understand. This is a question that a lot of people have. They're like, okay, well, I don't know what my weight set point is. Or have I broken my body so badly that I don't have a weight set point? Everyone has a weight set range, really. And it can change over time. Um, But you are probably somewhere in it right now. You probably are in your range, depending on so many different factors, depending on what you have been, um, how much you've been restricting or whatever it, you know, I don't know whether you're towards the higher end or the lower end. I'm going to guess mid to higher end. And then often when people go on the fuck a diet or begin intuitive eating, They gain even more to help their body to truly heal. And then sometimes people lose back down to where they started or below or a little bit above. There's no, um, there's no one trajectory, but basically you have a weight set range and you're probably in it because it's really, unless you're like doing, unless you're really, really doing something really intense right now like completely like not eating anything at all um it's really hard to go go below your set range that's why dieting is so impossible your body fights you so hard and it's also really hard to go above your body um kind of like takes care of that with your hypothalamus and your metabolism for you but the thing that does uh, raise the weight set range is dieting over time if you know what I mean. And that is just uh, famine, conservation, biology. Um, So that's the the answer to that question. You have a weight set range. You're probably in it right now. I know that that's easier said than done to just be like, so trust it. But but if you didn't, you wouldn't be, you know, your, your body is keeping you there right now for a reason. So trust that if you can. There's a woman, I've never worked with her before, but there's a woman named Ellen Satter. I believe that's how you pronounce it. She she has written a lot of books about teaching normal eating to children. And so I definitely recommend um, checking those out. It may be helpful to just have an idea. It's really hard to have your children avoid the cultural, like, you know, People talk about it all the time. It's everywhere. Other people talk about it, especially as they grow up. They're going to hear, you know, they're going to hear diet culture. But it will be so helpful if you have a foundation for them of, um, of intuitive eating and of a weight-neutral way of looking at things. So you will only help them by, you know, learning more and more about that. And uh, thank you for calling me your spirit animal. That's so fun. Um, I only call my very favorite (laughs) idols my spirit animal. So thank you very much. Um, I hope that that's been helpful. And um, I'm excited to hear your response to this after you hear this episode. So let's move on to the next question. Sarah asked, 
Hello, Caroline. I have a sort of odd question. I've been giving into all types of foods and eating whatever feels good to my body at any given time rather than trying to obsessively control what and how much I eat. I've been doing the fuck a diet for about a month, although there have been some ups and downs, but I'm trying to treat those as part of the process toward recovered recovering disordered eating habits and ultimately be kind and forgiving to myself if I accidentally slip back into restriction. Very good. It's like a wonderful way to approach it. I'm currently eating a lot, especially considering how much my restriction used to allow me to eat. Thanks to you, of course. Yay, food freedom. But I'm still feeling weirdly hungry after eating a lot of meals and throughout the day. I have heard you talk about this in podcasts before about how eating is a lot um eating a lot is normal to refeed your metabolism and your body and normalize your metabolism but my question is is it actually possible that with past binging I had actually stretched stretched out my stomach and now that is why I can't ever feel comfortably full is that crazy I eat quite large meals and still feel some type of lingering hunger at the end sometimes or maybe it's in my head I give in to the feelings by continuing to feed myself, but that ultimately ends in me feeling extremely full, like uncomfortably full. Is there a balance? Will I ever reach it? Or do I just feel continuously hungry because pre-fucking diet binging stretch my stomach until now I must be stuffed to feel full? Thanks so much. So I have been asked this question so many, many, many times. You're not alone. I hope that that is helpful to you because at the one month mark, I feel that many people are experiencing this kind of thing. So yes, what's happening is normal. I always like to refer back to the Minnesota starvation experiment where essentially the men were eating 1,600 calories a day. That was semi-starvation. They were eating 1,600 calories a day for like three months or something crazy. Maybe it was six months, right? That's it. That's like what, that is like what a lot of people were trying to do on diets for years, for decades. Um, And just doing that for six months, they basically for years and years and years after that had had to eat so much food to get their body back to a place where they weren't obsessed with food and where they didn't have this really difficult to describe feeling of hunger. They would, a lot of them would describe feeling physically full in their bodies, but still having this hunger that they couldn't really place and they couldn't really fulfill. I like to equate this to the body just kind of like being so wired to be obsessed with eating food in order to get you out of that state. And that you'll be in that for maybe a couple months and you're just one month into it. So it makes sense to me from both what I personally experienced, what many, many people experienced, and then what this particular study that was trying to study what happened to people as they tried to rehabilitate themselves from starvation um, experienced. So I don't think it has anything to do with stretching out the stomach. I could be wrong. I don't really know, but I was a major, major, major binger and I was always afraid. I feel like this is like a diet thing to talk about, like, oh, don't stretch your stomach. I don't think it has anything to do with the size of your stomach. I'm only laughing because I, we, so many of us go down this, is my stomach stretched out route. It has to do with your actual hunger hormones. So it has nothing to do with the volume of the stomach. It has to do with whether your body feels 
fed enough to lower your ghrelin hormone, which is the thing that causes hunger, if you know what I mean. Because you can have nothing in your stomach but still be fed from the last meal and not be hungry yet, if you know what I mean. And maybe you don't know what I mean because maybe you're in a place where you just constantly feel like you're hungry because of the dieting, which is also totally totally normal. Um, Not normal good, not like, oh, that's the place to stay in forever, but like that's what people experience when they've been dieting for their whole lives or for many years. So um, I hope that that's helpful to you. Basically what I'm saying is, no, you didn't ruin your stomach. Um, you're in this place where your body really, really just wants to feed you. And I know that, that it kind of is all consuming. And, you know, so I would say if in a couple months nothing has changed, you can go to the doctor and like get your insulin levels checked because going off of this PCOS thing that I listened to yesterday, um, you know, the one of the symptoms of PCOS can be insulin resistance, which is these really it's really high levels of insulin and then the cells aren't letting, um, aren't letting in the insulin. And I, I just don't know. I mean, I know that I don't experience that anymore. If I did at one time when I was initially diagnosed when I was a teenager, it's possible, but I was also like so stressed and dieting immediately. So it's really hard to know what came first, the chicken or the egg. But I definitely don't have crazy carb cravings anymore once I went through my long, like six to one year, six months to one year long, like deep refeeding. Um, so, so I would say keep doing this for a couple months. There should be more of a shift, you know, at the three, four, five, six month mark I think that things should start to change it's a really long process and it's different for everyone but nothing is unusual in what it sounds like you're experiencing and it also isn't irreparable damage that you've done to your stomach so I hope that that is helpful to you to hear but for the most part this is a really really normal reaction to dieting. This is part of the process. This is part of the, um, you know, really refeeding and teaching your body that there's enough food. However, again, if many, many months on the line or a year down the line, you feel like maybe there is something off, go to the doctor, support the body in other ways, and still dieting doesn't work. Isn't that awesome to know? I knew that. This is the basis of my entire work. This is like all I talk about. This is like a part of the way I live my life and the part of like, you know, something that's really, really integral to the way that I operate in my life and in my business. And yet still somehow listening to Julie Duffy Dillon talk about this in really, really um, concrete terms, even in regards to PCOS, which was this kind of amorphous thing that I sort of like just rebelled and decided that nothing that I'd been doing was helping anyway. And um, just really hearing her see how across the board with all of her patients that have PCOS, that they, you know, the dieting is never, ever, ever, ever the answer. I just, you know, it's not like I didn't know that, but hearing somebody who works so closely in that way with, with patients with PCOS, and it's such a pain point. It's so, such a complicated um, syndrome. Uh, it's just, just, I'm just so happy. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm so happy to share it with you. And I'm, I hope you go listen to it and I hope that it's helpful. Anyway, um, thank you so much for listening today. Of course, if you want to be somebody who asks questions for this podcast, you can over at patreon.com slash Caroline Dooner. And other than that, I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your bravery and for your coolness and for calling me your spirit animal. That's just so funny to me. I love it. Okay. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you soon.